Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Butt. I'm Emily Van Butt. Man, we've just had a hell of a time trying to get oh this one recorded. God. It has been one thing after another Ugh. these past couple of weeks. And now, please forgive me if I sound a little funky. Um, my allergies are in high gear. I've been dealing with a sore throat and stuffiness all day. Yep. Ugh, it's just been rough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fortunately, like most of the reasons taking us a while to get back to the back in the mics is because of good stuff. Um, I don't know if any of you guys listen to our other TNP Studio stuff, but we have a lot of stuff going on over there. So make sure to check out the YouTube channels of the Nerdpocalypse and of Dense Pixels, and uh, because we started expanding with some video content, and I've been very busy with that. But now we are back this week. Uh, we are going to review Bruxelles eighteen ninety three for two players. Later on the show, um, we're going to hem and haw over whether or not to back a particular Kickstarter that we're considering. <laughs> that we've been doing for days. Right now, uh, we've got new impressions to give you. Uh, before we do that, just a reminder that you can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you search for at Tabletop for Two. Subscribe to the show if you've not done it yet on iTunes, Google, Google Play Music, or any other podcatcher that you use. We have a BGG Guild. It's number 2623. You can definitely check us out there as well. Um, we're still soliciting episode topics. If there's anything that you guys would like us to talk about in the two-player board game space, we would definitely like to know. And uh, also keep an eye on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash tabletop for two. Um, hopefully we'll get one of these, this Crokinole live play happening at Klask. some point. Now, I think Crokinole will be more fun to do for the next one. Klask, Why? Because Klask I get is, so angry? Yeah, that might, well, not that. I mean, it'll be fun to beat you on there, but... Uh, <sighs> I mean, I would, to be fair, I would be being if it was class. I don't have the energy to smack talk back today. Stop. That's fair. Yeah, that's right. It is a little unfair. I'm Ugh. fighting a one-legged man in a in a trash talking contest. I guess so. Why don't we talk about Yokohama? You can instead. kiss my butt. <laughs> can I tell you that? Kiss my butt. Yokohama. Uh, we just got our deluxe copy. Not the tires. Yes, not the tires. <laughs> the city. Um, we just got a deluxe copy from uh, this is from TMG. Uh, designed by Hisashi Hayashi, who also designed Trains, one of our Weren't you impressed that I knew that? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Um, this is one I've been looking forward to because when it when it first came, I don't know if it released natively in the U.S. I think people were just importing copies last year. Um, it was getting a lot of buzz as a really solid like middleweight, maybe like slight mid-heavyweight Euro game. And this was, uh, this was a lot of fun, Yokohama was. Uh, the premise here is you are um, running companies in Japan and you are trying to gather resources and spend those resources to gain, what is it, like prestige in well, like with the church and gain prestige with um, uh, there's... with importing and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And uh, what else, I'm trying to think what else is worth victory points in the game as well. There's orders you can fulfill um, that'll get you points. There are... There are technologies that you can acquire to give your diff- self different abilities, and that of course, are also you get points. points for leftover things at the end of the game. Yeah, but the the way the game works is kind of interesting. So there's um in the two player game, I think it's ten locations that are arranged in an upside down pyramid, and on your turn you have you have one big meeple which is like your president, and then you have many smaller ones which are your assistants. And on your turn, you can either lay out three assistant up to three assistants in any you know spread out among any locations on the board, one each, or you can put two assistants into one location on the board. And this is important because when you are after that, you move your president to a location on the board, but it has to be a location that you can connect 
via a pathway of your people assistance that you had laid out. So like if I want to go to the docks to get another order, I have to be able to draw a path of my assistance to get to the docks essentially. And once you arrive at that location, you get to perform an action there. Based on how many people you have. Right. Basically, how how good the action is is based on literally how many wood bits you have in that location between your president and your assistants. And and there's also these little houses you can build in the location. Right. You can build shops and trading houses. And that's like basically a free piece for you in that that particular building. In subsequent turns. and. And again, the the actions that you Those do are, are going to be. That's how you can get points when you build the houses. When you build on the different spaces, there are points right. on some of the spaces as yeah, well. Yeah, it's another way to do it too. Um, like so, the locations are, are are varied between different resources. There's what is it? Four different resources in the game. Yeah, there's what fish. It's tea and copper and fish and um the goods. Well, the imports. I mean, I guess imports are a resource, but they're not one that well, you can get yeah. easily. Um, there's also a place where you can go. So when, when you start the game, you have a limited number of your resources that you can use between your workers and the different buildings available to you. There's, uh, the, a warehouse space. You can go to get more of those. Um, like I mentioned, you can go to the docks to gain new orders, which you can then fulfill anytime on your turn. Um, there's the laboratory, which you can go to, to get the different technologies that are in there, the church. And, and so you're, you're spreading yourself the church, around. You're spending money to, you yeah. know, line the pockets of the church people. Yep. So, and you're, and you're spreading yourself around. Um, the game takes place over a number of different rounds. Essentially once one of the scoring boards at the top of the, at the top of the game area gets filled up with assistance or filled up with a requisite number of assistance, then the game will end and you tally up your victory points. Whoever has the most points wins. I really, enjoyed the the kind of puzzly nature of the game. Well, that's what I was going to say. Um, you know me, I'm a big fan of the puzzles and the puzzliness was definitely a a selling point for me on this one. Yeah, and and I will say the um Now, I forget. Isn't there a penalty for passing through another place where the person is it with the where the big guy is. Well, I was actually gonna, I was actually gonna mention that. Yeah. So there's, as you're moving around the board, um, you have to pay other players money if you pass through or land, or if, yeah, if you pass through a space that their that their worker occupy or their president occupies, rather. And in the two player game, that didn't seem to impede us all that often. Well, that's also because I got a card that allowed me to move through those spaces without Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was the technology that you had. But even I mean, even, even I didn't have to pay you all that frequently no. to, to do that. You paid me like once or twice. Yeah, so I, I would imagine with more players well, oh, but, yeah. but also the player is bigger too with more players. Like there's more locations to visit. Yeah, but still with more players there's more, you know. More chance of it happening for right. sure. Um what I and and this one also handles the um because at the end of the game there's some area scoring like like the way the points of the church and the points at the um the import place are handed out is by who has the majority of workers right there um well the first and second majority right and there's and and the way they handle that is just by putting a, a neutral color one of their workers on the space just so that it, and they know, get basically the middle space points, on each right? board. Yes. Um and then yeah, so like I said, this was this was a really fun game. Um the, the way you move around kinda reminded me and we haven't played Istanbul, but I've I've seen enough 
well, videos of it to know. This made me laugh because I remember we got it, and then I'm sitting at work. I hear my phone ding with a text message, and here's this guy. He's like, I'm all ready for tonight. I'm like, what? And then I pull up the picture, and he's got it already set up on the mm. table. It's <laughs> I said, okay, I know we're playing tonight then. It's a clever design. Like I said, I, I, I like it. Um, certainly a couple different you know strategies what I appreciate? to explore. I appreciate when we when he puts the box on the shelf and I look at the side and it says deluxified. Yeah. Cracked me up. I don't know why. Well, and the other thing I appreciate too is that because of the nature of how the scoring works, this was tough to like I thought I was going to lose and I actually barely edged M out by like five or six points at the end of the game. So I I, I did enjoy the fact that it was kind of hard to predict the Well, yeah, because you don't know, like you, you might think you're doing well or you might think you're doing poorly, but really, in reality, you aren't, mm-hmm. you know. Well, because the end game scoring can have such a, because you do earn a lot of points during the game and during the game, M actually ran out to a pretty sizable lead but i was able to make up for it at at when it was all said and done so like i said lots of different strategies to explore Mm -hmm. uh it took about 90 minutes to play which is about where i would want a game like this to land it'll probably be quicker on some quicker next time because we were for sure like i said last time we were still kind of learning the symbols and everything Mm -hmm. so but yeah yokohama great uh great addition um i don't know if the deluxe edition from tng will be readily available uh, but it's definitely a worthwhile purchase because the wood bits were definitely are definitely very nice. They have wood wood bits for all the different resources and and uh, and and imports and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's very cool. So definitely check that out if that sounds like something that you might be interested in. Yep. Um. Next, we actually played this the other evening. Mega Man Pixel Tactics. The gentleman across from me mm-hmm. has been very excited about this because he loves Mega Man. Yes, big Mega Man fan. Always have been. Um, I'm not one who's played a lot of games with tactics, mm -hmm. so it was definitely an adjustment for me. Yeah, it will. It's it's pixel tactics is something I've had my eye on for a while. And then once the Mega Man version went up on Kickstarter, it was kind of a no brainer for me to back it. Um, The premise of this game is you have each each player has I think it's supposed to be an identical deck of cards, but I think that you can also just combine sets and have whatever 25 card decks you want in this one. Um, But you're going to draw a hand of cards. One of these cards is going to be played into the center of a three by three tableau. And that's going to be your leader. And the goal is to eliminate the other player's leader before your leader uh, is eliminated by that player. Seems simple, but it's not. And then each of the, each of the other cards can be, they have a leader value, but then if you flip them over, um, they have a lot of different other characteristics as well. Um, and what's cool about Pixel Tactics is that, as I mentioned, you have a three by three play area. That's and, where I got screwed. Yeah, up. and depending on which row you play a card into determines which abilities and which powers they have available. And that's to where them. my problem came in because I. Like, I heard you say that, but I guess I was just like, oh, I was not paying attention where I was putting my cards. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, but I want to do this. And you're like, but you don't have it in that row. And I'm like, <sighs> yes. And so <laughs> it was a little bit, you know, like bummed me out a little yeah. bit. Well, so each so the way each round works is that um, one player next time. one player is going to have the initiative. So if I have the initiative, um you go. You start with the first row, which is your vanguard row, and you perform two actions. And those actions can be playing a new card in that row, using the abilities of your characters that are in that row, attacking your opponent, um, 
drawing cards, things of that nature. Card from your hand. Yep. And then, uh, and then your opponent gets to take two actions in the same row. Then you move down to the middle row and alternate two actions, and then you do the last row and alternate two actions, and then the initiative switches sides, and you go back and forth like that until until one player's leader gets knocked out. Well, I want to say this as someone who played like the first two Mega Mans, mm-hmm. and not even like all the way through, just like played messing around with my cousins and stuff. I didn't remember half of the characters and their goofy, goofy names, but mm-hmm. I was having so much fun just laughing at the terrible names of these. Well, and I appreciate it because the um, guts man, yeah, really guts. The uh, I, I appreciate it because the abilities of the characters sort of lined up with their abilities in the video oh, yeah. game as well. So my leader was Mega Man, mm-hmm. and every time Brad cleared a corpse from the battlefield, I got to have that corpse. Right, which you could then use for their special power, which, much like Mega which Man Which we're sitting the there about halfway through the game, he goes, oh, that's so clever. He goes, I didn't even put two and two together. He's like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, and, yeah. And, and like I mentioned, there's also, instead of playing the cards out to the battlefield, they each each card has like a one-time effect that you can play out of your hand and use, but then that card gets discarded. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful doing that because if you do run through your deck, then you just won't be able to replenish your troops, which is going to make keeping your leader alive a little bit difficult. Well, um, I and, had trouble keeping my leader alive anyway. Well, I think the thing that's confusing... With this one is the way that attacking works is yeah. not intuitive. No, because when you're attacking, um, there's two types of attacks. There's melee attacks and there's range attacks. Range attacks are easy because well, that one you can any any person, no matter where they're situated on the map, can attack any other person on the other side, no matter we'll where they're situated. We'll see, and that's the thing. Like me, I'm used to the words melee and range, meaning melee guy has to be right next to you. My right. ranged guy. So I'm thinking, okay, I have all these melee cards. How the crap am I going to hit any of his guys? Because I don't understand. And I thought, my my thought process when we first started was, my guys in the first row were just equivalent with your guys in the first row. So that's the only ones they could attack. Right. And that's not exactly and that's how it works. that's probably where my... And, and, I mean, but that's... Yeah. That would be a normal thinking, wouldn't it? Yeah, yes and no, because this is like a tactical game where positioning matters. What The way it works is that melee attacks can only be made against the column that you're in. So, like, if I have a dude in the leftmost column, he can only attack the person that's in, M, that's in Emily's rightmost column. Because those are the columns that line up with one another. And it's only the frontmost card that can attack the frontmost card on the other Unless side. Unless it's ranged. Unless it's ranged. Yeah, range, range can attack anywhere. That's easy to grasp, but the melee one, that one definitely weird. takes and a second said, to I wrap did, your head around it. I just didn't quite get it, and I think that was part of the issue. Right. But fortunately, you still seem to enjoy yourself relatively, despite having trouble like wrapping your head around well, Like I the said, this is not game. really like stuff that I've played, because mm-hmm. I don't really play you know... Uh, even video games, I don't play anything tactical. Well, that's not true. You have, I mean, Battle Battle Lore is a tactical game of mm-hmm. sorts because positioning matters and and things of that nature. And in, in yeah, that, that game, seems, but that's also different. Well, this because, that's you, have also a, easier. because you have a. I'm sorry, but that one melee means I'm right here. I'm going to slice your face off, well, and right, range because, means I'm going to arrow your butt off. Well, so, right, because they're using yeah. the ta- they're using the the. The definition of it, that term that makes more sense when to it, you. Okay, when you have little miniatures on a map, that's a lot easier than nine cards in a grid on a table. 
for me. Actually, well, actually, visually, visually for me, it's easier to understand that way. Well, let me give you the battle lore comparison then. I guess the way the, the way you could sort of think of it then. So, you know, the battle lore maps divide into three areas as well, right? Left, mm-hmm. center, right. Obviously, like a person in the center area normally is not going to be able to melee attack a person in like one of the side areas unless they have to be like on the borderline there, right? Right. So that's kind of sort of the same. Okay, well, maybe idea. had you put it to me that way before we played, <laughs> I might have understood a little better. But I was just nine cards on the table, was not doing it for okay. me. Okay. Well, now you'll know for next time. I like guess. I said, I, you know me. I'm I'm one who likes to learn by doing, and I'm very visual, much like our son. He's very mm. visual with things, and it's much easier for me to look at something. Okay, that's how this works. Well, I think the second, I think next time around, I think you'll be a little bit better equipped. The the one thing I will say for this one is I was expecting this to be a little bit shorter, and I don't know if it was just first time playthrough. It's probably because your wife's a moron. I'm the, I didn't say that. You did. Because so. <laughs> I, I my. Well, and I'm trying to read the stuff on the cards and kind of get how it goes. And mm. I mean, well, the, the tricky part for me um, was keeping track of because, like, usually the dudes in the back row mm-hmm. and also your leader have like permanent abilities that affect your entire grouping. That was the hardest thing to keep track of for me is remembering, oh, yeah, this guy has plus two health or this guy does extra attack, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know if there's be an easier way to track that except for just being more aware of it. But that was the trickiest part for me, I think, was remembering that all those abilities were active. Um, but like I said, hopefully with repeat plays, that'll that'll be less of an issue, one would assume. So, yeah, I, I really dug Mega Man Pixel Tactics. Um and I have th- we have three decks worth of cards, which are which is pretty cool. Oh my god! Yeah, we came in three sets basically. Oh, so geez. yeah, seventy five or eighty or ninety or however many cards it is worth of uh, Mega Man heroes and villains. So looking forward to getting that one back to the table again, and uh, hopefully you'll have a better go of it this time around. We'll see. Yep. Um. Next, actually, this was one that was eh. Yeah. Aeon's end. Yeah, it, it is funny because we acquired this, and now now the two games could not be really more different at all, even though they're both deck building games to a sort. Um, but this and Clank came in around the same time, and of course we we gushed all sorts of praise on the Clank last episode because it's fantastic, and and this probably suffered a little bit because of the fact that we played both of them so right close to each other. But this one also kind I of don't fell, think so. This one fell a little short for me too. Um, Aeon's End's a cooperative deck building game where there is a common threat that is trying to attack the city of I don't even remember what it's called Grave Grave Hill Grave or Hill Graves. or I kept I kept trying I kept calling you it kept Gloomhaven. Ca- you kept I, no, I think at one point you called it Gravehaven and I just like <laughs> laughed at you and I'm like, oh god. Right. And um and there's like a big I bad I kept wanting to call it Graves End, so yeah. it's okay. And and the big bad has his own deck of cards of uh of of baddies and bad attacks and stuff like that. And then you each have a yeah, hero. Yeah, they're very very mean, by the way. Which is fine because it's cooperative, so yeah, I don't I, I don't get mind that, that. But I didn't feel like we were well enough equipped to deal with some of that stuff. But we won, barely. But we won. So and then anyhow, you each have a hero that has a that has a deck of cards um and each hero has one special skill card that's unique to them as well and of course there's a marketplace of cards that you can purchase and acquire during the game to add to your deck now the the thing that makes gloomhaven or gloom wow <laughs> 
Freudian slip. Uh, the thing that makes Aeon's uh, oh, end. Baby, baby, hmm. are you trying to tell me you want to play that soon? Uh, we might have to get it back to the table <laughs> soon. Um, the thing that makes Aeon's end unique amongst deck builders is that you never actually shuffle your deck of cards. You always. Um, basically, when you when you put you know when, when you're done you your turn, discard when you discard it, you discard them in the order in which you want to see them again. Basically, right. And then when your deck runs out, you literally take your discard pile and flip it over, and then that's your deck. Now, here's the thing: there's mm-hmm. also the variable player turn order. Yeah. Yes. Um, did not like that because this girl right here kept kind of getting the shaft because every time we did the deck. I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and I had so much downtime in between my turns. I got bored. Yeah, so so the variable turn order that M's talking about, instead of having a like a constant steady turn order, you ha- in a two player game, each player has two cards, and then the villain has two cards, and you shuffle these into a turn order deck. And each turn, you know, each time it's someone's turn, you flip over a card. Whoever's card gets flipped over is whose turn it is. Sounds cool in principle because it you can't. Perfectly planned all really, of your stuff. Really, really not cool because yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when I had stuff planned out and like it got ruined a little bit, but I'm like, okay, but I can still do this. And then magically, nope, Brad's turn, Brad's turn. Oh, the villain again. Okay, now you get to go. And by that point, I'm just like, there's nothing left for me to do. I've lost, you know, the good cards out of my hand. Right. Well, and, and that's, it was just it was right, and, and yeah, and, it was and not so a good Emily, experience. Right. So what ended had end up happening, seemingly a lot, is that M would like get two turns in a row. Then the villain and me would take our turns, then the round would start. You reshuffle the turn deck. Then me and the villain would get to go first, and then M would get like two turns on the back end. It always, it kind of just seemed to always work out that way right. for you. And the problem was, like I said, by the time it's my turn. Either A, there's literally nothing for me to do, mm-hmm. or B, there's I've lost cards and I've lost all my spells because Brad keeps pulling these bad cards. And, well, and that's and there's the other and, there's the other rub with this one is the way that the cards work is the way you do damage primarily is with is with by casting spells and you have four breaches in front of your characters and the breaches are essentially where you put the spells to to prep them and then on so on on your turn you put the spell down with the intention to cast it next turn and then on at the beginning of your next turn the spell actually and fires off. And I'm so off. excited because yeah. I've got these really like BA spells and then I have them out there and we get a bad guy card that says discard the two highest cost spells that are out there and of course it was always mine because right. Brad wouldn't buy any and yeah and then everything, all my best laid plans were ruined. So I guess that I guess that is kind of the issue that I have with it is that they give you cool things that you can do, and then potentially you don't get to do them because the game just kind of messes with you in that way. Oh yeah. So and, and some like people be like, bully. "Oh, that's that's part of the challenge. And that's cool." And you're right, but it's it is frustrating. Like like it. But it, at one point, I mean, I just. I didn't want to play anymore. I'm like, okay, I this is not fun. Right. It, li- it, it is actually. It, it, was, it literally yeah. did happen to M twice, where she had two really powerful spells like queued up, and then before it got around to her turn again, like a villain card would come out that would say, yeah, like two dis- discard cost the two highest no, cost he's spells not that, are, that it are prepped happened right now. Two turns in a row, and I was pissed. So maybe I mean, maybe we got bad luck of the draw. I don't know. Um, the game also felt incredible for for a deck building game with not a ton of it cards. Was it was very f- bland for me. Well, it, it looked bland for sure. Like the visuals were not the most. They slick. were not blowing the skirt up. But like 
so in reality, legendary encounters, for example, since we're talking about co-op deck builders, is a more fiddly game because there's so many more cards and there's so many different uh but it's so much but more stream- fun it will streamline though like it feels much more streamlined like and and Zen felt very clunky as as we were playing the game essentially and that was that was not the best so, i didn't have fun yeah we were we were both incredibly underwhelmed i will say um which is a shame because i had heard a lot of good things about this one leading up to it so it's um yeah this one just didn't just and frankly didn't i was very upset i was so tired afterwards because i could have used something to wash that taste taste out of my mouth of that one. Oh, you need a palate cleanser yeah yeah, yeah so yeah and then definitely did not work for us um mm-hmm. i think there are better games that do what that game tries to do and uh yeah it's, in, in our minds it's it's probably a hard pass i'd say now one that did work well was the Egypt expansion for Deus. Oh, like you had any doubt that that was going to Oh, happen. my God. <laughs> I will say, the, the so so my worry, and we talked about this when we when we talked about this in our um, our Essen episode last year, is that I was, I was nervous about the fact that uh, you literally replaced the deck of cards from the first Deus game with a brand new deck of cards. But uh, that worked out okay. I kind of dug. I kind of dug the additions. I enjoyed the um, the other things that you were able to do with the cards. Well, and and also, um, it seemed to me like the cards in this one were much more dynamic in terms of how they reacted based on you know what the situations on the map mm-hmm. and and the different things they could do and how powerful they were. Um, they also all most of the cards also have like one time effects that happen when you first play the card, but mm-hmm. then not afterwards. Um, this also added a adjustable market for the different resources in the game that can make them cheaper or more expensive to buy, but then also worth less or more victory points at the end of the game for the person that has the majority of resources or collected when you're selling them. Yeah, that well, that's what I'm saying. More valuable or or right. worth more points. Um, what else did this one? Uh, this this one. Um the uh, the temples. Um, oh yeah, the temples were, were very different as well. They so were very very much different from the from the base game well, because in in original in vanilla Deus, all of the temples. <laughs> well, I mean, it's what it is. Were were all the temples scored victory points for you at the end of the game? In this one, in Deus Egypt, the temples actually score you points during the game which right. is quite a bit different well and that's the other thing i felt like we did a way lot more scoring during the game than we did before well because because of that probably like that's i'm sure that's what it i'm sure that's what it was oh and it had the little um like the storehouses for your goods yeah that was cool too yeah i like that because then you can't just hoard stuff right yes that is that is also correct um that that's what there as well. um I forget, was it the green cards that gave you those? Yes, the production buildings. They gave you, it's a little plank and it literally has one, two, or three spots on it where you can put your goods. And it seemed like the military cards were also a lot more useful in this one. I actually used the military cards where I usually don't use them too terribly much. Right. You know. So, and so yeah, this one was really... Because um, I think they gave me like the one... I forget what the one I had gave me. It was It was something something very good so that you couldn't attack me or something or if you attacked me you had to pay me money or points yep 
Yeah. yeah, but and and um so and what's cool with this expansion too is that you could actually mix and match um so like you could use the the green, yellow and brown cards from the expansion with the blue and red cards from and temples from the base game if you want to. Like you can kind of mix and match yeah, the cards. Which is cool. Like I can see how you can mix and match it. Now we did just play it with just the Egypt cards. Right. We haven't we haven't mixed them all. Well and and the the only knock I have on the mixing and matching is that the new mechanics, like like I said, the limited resources and and the market are tied to those Egypt cards. So like if you use the blue cards from the original game, you can't use the market because those cards don't use it in any way, shape, or form. So like you you lose the, that part of it as well. Well, that and likewise with the with the little planks. I That's mean, what I'm saying. you yeah, can't, like, yeah, you it's, can't it's, use it's, any of that. So you have to lose that stuff as well. But this is, like I said, I... Well, I feel like you have to use those two together. Probably. No matter what. Yeah. I Yeah, I wasn't expecting... Um, I, I wasn't expecting to be as blown away by the quality of the expansions I was. Like, I, I just thought, oh, new cards, that'll be cute, you know, and different, slightly different cute. abilities. No, like, I, cute, I, okay. I, really, I really didn't expect ever, the whole package that... that the Egypt expansion was well. Then it met your standards, now didn't it? Quite a bit, yes, <laughs> yes. So I, I, I would say if you have Deus, this is a very worthy addition uh, to that collection. Shall we put the disclaimer? You must own the base game Deus to play the I expansion. Would, I would hope anyone listening to this <laughs> understands that. Uh, no, I'm just laughing because when we bought it, um, somebody's like, "You do have the base game, right?" Oh yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, that's just courtesy of, of the sh- of the store owner to do that. But I don't think we need to mention it. Yeah, it so, just makes me giggle. But yeah, Dance Egypt. I dug it. It's it's very very good. So there's one Kickstarter that we wanted to talk about this week, and. It is I don't one, really want to talk about it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna work this out. Uh, on, I don't on wanna. the podcast. I already me. worked it out. I don't want to work it out anymore. So, look, as of as of us recording this, um, the project has nine days to go, um, and this is the Roxley Games production of Brass by Martin Wallace, which you've heard us talk about many many yeah, times. So I was gonna say, long time listeners know that Brass, despite being a three to five player game out of the box is one of our favorite two player games to play because the excellent community expansion that was made for the game works really well. Plus um, we have an awesome two player board. Yes. Dare dare I say it's our favorite route building game of this type? For us, yes. Okay. Now if we're talking about playing with friends, I think that would be a different one. Well, yeah, no, I'm just saying between between you and I. Yes. So the Roxley Games Kickstarter is interesting though, because not only are they reproducing the original Brass, which is now called Brass Lancashire, um, but they're also making a new game, a sequel. Well, not they are. Martin Wallace is making a new game, a sequel to Brass called Brass Birmingham, um, which adds a dynamic board setup, which I'm assuming means the and cities are laid out beer. differently. Yep, different different <laughs> industries, different methods of scoring the canals and rails, which looks interesting. Um, and it's also designed for two players out of the box, which is also very interesting as well. Um, but we're, I'm, we're, we're, we're wringing our hands a little bit because everything looks so pretty. Yes. 
but I cannot justify spending the money to upgrade something when we already have a perfectly nice game. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I'm not one to do things just for cosmetic reasons. Right. The new, so the new version of Brass. Um, everything looks so damn pretty. Looks like they, like they've completely redone the art. I mean, the. Well, and that's what it is too, because like the art on the current copy mm. is very. Bare bones. Yes. Very, very bare bones. Very kind of bland and it's blah. Also, well, and also, like, the graphic design is much better as well. I mean, in, in the original game, like, that points track kind of snakes up around one entire corner of the board. In this one, they actually have the more commonly done point track around the outer edge of the board. And the income track is also around the outer edge of the board as well. Um, and everything just looks a little bit better situated. Um, like Em said, the art is very, very evocative. Um, it's very, it, it looks very good. It's like, it takes me back to several good books that I've read yeah. where I've, you know, made movies in my head based off of my, you know, right. The card, the card art's terrific. The, uh, it comes with player boards, which is great for the industry tiles. Um, that you have in the game because normally you just keep the industry tiles stacked up in front of you. Oh, it drives me nuts. I always yeah. knock them over. <laughs> always. Well, yeah. actually, no. I always knock them over with my boobs. But now that we have the table, I won't knock them over anymore. Canal and rail tokens actually look like boats and trains instead of just railroad track and, and, and waterways because those things are already on the board. So that's kind of redundant to have right. them that way. And, of course, because the project has been immensely successful so far, there are all sorts of... Really neat stretch goals like custom vacuum trays and clay poker chip money and all sorts of other things that are on there. You know it's going to happen. Well, that we're going to do it, I'm sure, because we we're can't help hem, ourselves. We're going to haul, and then when it comes down to it, we're going to plunk down that hundred bucks for both of them. So it's it is uh for for each game. It's you sixty can, bucks you can for them each game, yeah, or, you or can it's hundred bucks for both. And yeah, it's and well, and here's the other thing too. We have two other games from Roxley already. One of which is an amazing production that we know is an amazing production. So we have Super Motherload, which is not the one that I'm referring to. That's a Roxley's game, Roxley game game. But we also have Santorini, which they also. Oh, I out. love Santorini. Yeah, like San- Santorini Man, is one of the we nicest. We need to play some more Santorini. I agree with you, um, but Santorini is one of the nicest looking games that we <laughs> that they put out last year. And it looks fantastic. And since we did the Kickstarter on that one, we got this cool little, like, kids book. So maybe one day I will read it to Zandy Man. And apparently they've tweaked the two-player rules for blank for Brass Lancashire as well a little bit to make it more in line with how the four-player version plays. So, like I said, basically, this is us kind of like working, like this, therapy working. This is us working. justifying publicly yeah. why we are going to spend a hundred dollars and get a game that we already own plus the expansion or sequel, sequel whatever, whatever, whatever. You call it, right? Yes, yeah. My 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 argument for is that it is one of our favorite games, and if you have a game that's one of your favorite games, ideally, you want to own the best version of that game. That you possibly can. Unless you have like a soft spot for like the original version. Mm, which I don't really no. <laughs> you, you know. Like I, I mean? love the game, but the the art and everything leaves me wanting a little. And then I saw this and I said, damn you, Brad. Right. 
And and it's funny because you were like super adamant, like, no, we're not doing it, no, we're not doing it at first. And like within the span of two days, I think you've completely I think I think you are now further on the side of doing it than I am right now, almost, which is amazing. It's a really it's a really solid production. And honestly Maybe it's because I have all this money lying around for my birthday that I haven't been able to spend yet. There you go. And 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 a big part of it for me is is the publisher. Like if if Roxley was like some new kid on the block that I never heard of, then maybe not. But it's considering that they put out two really good games that Thanks for that. What? Now I have the right stuff stuck Jeez. in my head. <laughs> being being as they just put out Santorini, which I was very impressed with. And and also the Kickstarter campaign for that was very well run, also, as far as like communication stuff like that. And that just kind of gives you buying confidence i guess as a consumer doing doing business with that company mm-hmm. so we're probably gonna be doing this um like just, i said this is us. our this is our public justification right. of why we we're going to spend this money that we really don't need to spend but we're going to do it anyway i will i will also say though if you have never played brass and you think you might like you know route building train style games um it's definitely worth checking out it's one of the best um, easily my favorite Martin Wallace game. Hey, we're going to have without. a copy of Brass on the market here soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's Complete good, with a two-player board. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. So, so please tell me there's no tiddlywinks in this one. Clay poker chip money. Right. Yes. Clay that poker was, chip money. That, that's my biggest thing is that in the version we have, it's tiddlywinks. But that's a Martin Wallace like thing. Like that's like all his games that he put out through his company. I didn't like Tiddlywinks was, when I was a kid. Yeah, I still don't like them now. I'm I'm more okay with that money than you. Are. I mean, it didn't matter because we use our little mini poker chips that we have anyway. But yeah, yeah. So so yeah, Brass uh, is on Kickstarter right now. If you're interested, check it out. It's got about a week and a half left because um, we're probably going to buy it because we have very poor willpower. That's fine. <laughs> we are meaning Brad. I I don't dispute it. <laughs> I don't dispute it. <laughs> so our review this episode is going to be of Brussels 1893. Uh, this is a game that was originally published in 2013. Um, by Z-Man Games in the U.S., uh, by Pearl Games overseas, and I'm pretty sure that Asmodee is putting out a reprint of it later this year because it's been very hard to find for a while. Uh, it's designed by Etienne Sprayman. Uh, the artist is Alexander Rocher, which if you've ever played Trois or Tournay, um, you know exactly the art style that you're getting into here, that very hand-drawn, um, very busy-looking art that is very mm-hmm. common. In his games, um, this is a this is a strategy game where you are going to be putting out workers to do different tasks, and you are trying to collect the different um, resources in the game in different ways because there's different paintings that you can get. Um, there's there's patrons at the royal hall that you can solicit that will give you stuff. Um, that can also be worth points at the end of the game. There are Art Deco buildings that you can build, um, and they're they're going to be worth points as well. Lots of different ways to earn points. There's also well, there's also the two tracks. Yes, the, well, as you that that'll help make some of your actions more powerful. 
as you go through the mm-hmm. game. Um, but at its at its heart, it's a and cards, huh? Cards, yeah. The dudes. It's a it's a worker placement. We'll get into that because Brad always laughs at me in this game. Yeah, it's a worker placement auction hybrid, um, and always looking for good auction games that work well with two players. And because of how the auction is done in this game, um, it's it works very well. So. There's a there's two boards. There's the main game board, which the score track and a lot of other areas and some some worker placement spaces reside. And then to the right of that is a modular board that is made up of five long strips. And each of the strips has the different actions that you're able to take with your workers. And they're arranged in a random fashion before the game. And at the beginning of each round. And, oh, and sorry, they're in a five by five grid. I suppose I should probably mention that to mm-hmm. kind of give you an idea. At the beginning of each round, um, part of that grid is going to be cut off from from being able to be used. Sorry, that, that was our cat. Yeah, our cat. <laughs> That's one of the stuff. So part of this 5x5 five five grid, o- only a subsection of this 5x5 five five grid is going to be available to use every round. And in a two-player game, um, it's only going to be a 3x3 three three area mm-hmm. that's available uh, that whose spaces are available to use and whoever the first player is gets to actually decide where the cutoff point is located um which right because you, some extra you flip over the card and it'll say it's either it's still what two three or something like that right each each of the each of the spaces in between like each in between the rows and columns are numbered and so it'll you instruct you where do, to put this little L-shaped tool. Right. So you can just do the upside or you can do the downside based on what actions are in there and what you actually want to do. Correct. Correct. And um, and then at the bottom of these columns. Also a good way to box people out once we start building buildings. Potentially. At, at the <laughs> bottom of these columns is our uh, there are going to be bonus cards laid out. We'll get to we'll get to the function of them in a little bit. Oh, the pee pants. Yeah, but each uh, each game, uh, or sorry, each 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 turn, you're going to take one of your one of your workers, and you're going to place them on one of these action spaces along with some money, which is essentially your your bid in the auction that's taking place throughout the round. And when you put a worker on the space, you get to perform the action carried out with that but space. Got to put money too, right? That's what, that's what I just said. So um, the different actions are: you can acquire paintings uh, from the art gallery. You can gather resources. Uh, building building resources specifically. Um, you can sell your paintings, and before you sell the paintings, you're allowed to manipulate the marketplace for those paintings mm-hmm. to make them worth whether you're trying to get more victory points or more money for the sale of those paintings. Um, like M said, you can build uh, you can gain building resources, and then conversely, as a separate action, you can use those resources to build a building um, from your tableau. And the resources that you have to use for those buildings are going to vary based on a like a spinner wheel essentially that has that has two hands and the two hand where the two hands are pointing dictate the resources Wait, the that resource, can be used right. um which also lends some interesting collection aspects as well yep and finally um you can acquire patrons from the royal hall basically to work with you and when you acquire those patrons each of them give have like a special ability that you can use right away and then you decide if you want to keep them or not uh keeping them or will get you some victory points at the end of the game but you also have to pay money um to keep them in your in your good graces i guess and this is where brad laughs at me because i'm one of those ones i don't like to be in debt in games Mm. so i will get my guys and i'll be as 
you know, thrifty as I can, getting what I need and keeping who I need. And then as I am acquiring money, I'm actually placing it on my cards so that I know they're paid for at the end of the game. Now, he laughs at me, but now that I've, you know, shown that this is a tried and true method, he now does this in games. I I laugh because you do it early in the game, and you'll leave money on there that you could otherwise spend to do a different action, even though you could easily get more money later on. Um, Excuse me, but don't I usually win? No, I don't know about that. I don't know about usually. Um, on the other board, there also there's also five actions, four action spaces. Or when I do win, the, I say uh huh. That are the city hall action spaces. Um, those are pretty generic actions. They can get you generic building resources. They can get you money. Um, they can also help you do one of the main five actions if the other player has boxed you out on the regular action board because each space can only hold one. One worker. But whoever has the most workers up there loses one each round, correct? Yes, yes. So you don't want to put too many guys in City Hall. And plus, the way the City Hall spaces work is the first placement. So, like, if I put a worker on the money space, it only takes one worker. But then if M wants to do it later that round, she has to put one additional person that I had on there yep. to begin with. So you have to you have to be careful because that can get away from you as well. So you're going to be performing your actions. Um, and again, you're just trying to usually only use that for money most times, most times. Yeah. Cause it's, it's usually pretty easy to do what you want. Um, the other, the other kind of catch to this is that whenever you build a building, that building goes onto one of the action spaces on the auction board. And if a player, not yourself uses that space, you get to take like a little bonus action along with it as well. That's Mm -hmm. related to the space that it's on, which is on the bottom of your player board. So once once every player's placed their workers for the round, um, you're going to look to see how much money has been bid by each player in each column. And the winner of that auction, of these little mini auctions, gets the bonus card that's at the bottom of that column. Now, the bonus cards serve one of two functions. They can either get you... Um, boost it up on these different tracks that are in the game, or and get the tracks you money or a marker. No, it's not money. It's literally just the tracks, or make your buildings more valuable at the end of the game, or get a worker. There, there's no, there's never money involved I with them. There was a money one. Yeah, there's not usually. And then, um, and then these these tracks make it so that some of your other actions are more powerful. So, like when you like, there's an action in the city hall space where you can activate all of the patrons that you have acquired well there's you can move up on that track to activate more of them with one action instead of having to you know only be able to do one or two at a time or instead of using that that one shot bonus action you can instead if the card has a victory point symbol on the bottom you can tuck it under your player board to make one of the end game scoring options more valuable at the end of the game so at the end of the game, um, you're going to be able to get points for your leftover workers, uh, your patrons that you have, your number of paintings you have left over, and the amount of money you have left over. Well, the money is divided by what? It's by four. Yeah. But normally those things are worth one point apiece. But if you tuck these bonus cards underneath, you can actually make them worth more. So if I if I put two of these extra victory point symbols beneath the painting one for example then instead of one point for every paint for every painting i have i'll get three points so that's so you have to make that consideration whenever you're you're bidding on these different auctions as you go along um so the game takes place over five rounds at the end of the game um you're going to do the end game scoring that we kind of just talked about and whoever has the most points is going to be the winner mm-hmm. um yeah th- so this is a game that we find very very clever and very, very fun. Like the auction mechanic 
works well, really well. Well, like you said, with most times auction with two just does not jive because mm. it's not. I mean, an auction is not designed for two people. Not typically, but this one works really well. This one does work well. There's also incentive to place characters in certain in in to dominate these four by these little two by two areas as well, well to get victory points each round. Why am I think? Oh, the uh, on the cards though they have mm-hmm. the little cherub guys, and doesn't that do something? That's just to get first player. That's oh, just for first player. At, at, for, I couldn't remember if it round, gave yeah. you like extra something or just that. Okay. No, nothing. Nothing crazy. Yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, like I find the I find the 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 way the worker placement works to be interesting. Um, there's also an incentive to passing first in the round. So I always I always like games that sometimes make you make that decision is it really worth me doing this extra small action or is it worth me passing so i can get a better chance of becoming the first player oh and i get this exhibition token because when you pass when you're the first person to pass you get a exhibition token and which makes it easier to gain art so like if you are going with a heavy art strategy you're definitely going to want to make sure that you are doing your stuff early and then mm-hmm. getting out of the round basically as fast as possible. Um, so I, like I said, I really like those choices that it lets you make. Um, Two-player differences, there aren't many. Um, it's just that, the the like, like we mentioned, the available actions each round um, are obviously lessened with two players because you want to have competition over those spaces. And they also suggest having a neutral... Um, token on two of the spaces at the beginning of each round. And what's cool is that they actually let each player pick the location mm-hmm. of that token. So you can specifically box out one of your opponent's buildings that they've laid on there or, or you know, or something if you of that know nature. there's something they're going to want to do, you can, yeah. Right. So, so that one's pretty cool. Um, this one is not a hard game to teach people, I found. But the it it is a it's a tough game to kind of gleam from the rules. It makes a lot of sense once you start playing, but it might it's it. I I, I remember when I read originally read the rules for this. It took me like two for some reason it just didn't catch in my head, and it took me like I'd read it twice to make sure I had it right. But then once we started playing, like oh this makes complete perfect right. sense. And I think where the complexity of the game comes into play is deciding which strategy you get you know which path to go down, which strategy to do, especially a two player game because it's very because of how tight the board is, it's very difficult to have both players chasing the same sort of thing. Right. And I've tried many different strategies in this. I've tried making sure I get all my buildings out to, you know, and building that track up. And mm-hmm. I've tried, you know, being, you know, the banker and having all the, you know, ev- everything you can think of. I've tried the, all the paintings and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there are many different paths to victory in this one. There's, it's not one of those ones that has like a clear cut. Okay, if I do this, this is gonna no, win I, me the game. Yeah, I haven't found a dominant strategy because if like so like buildings logically because buildings can potentially be worth a ton of points seems like a great thing to get into. But the game is designed Only in such a way. Only if you can get that track built up. If you can't get that track built up, I don't think you have right. a shot. But I'm saying, but the, but the game is designed in such a way. That in order to make buildings that viable, it's hard to do anything else but buildings in the game because mm-hmm. of how much time and effort you have to invest in making them worthwhile. One of the things that I have the love-hate relationship with is the paintings, like when you get to sell them. Mm-hmm. Because there's two painting slots, and you can only sell 
different colored paintings from what's there. Yeah, so so basically the the two painting slots are t- like whatever colors were most recently sold essentially and you can't like like if a color is visible and there's I think five different color paintings if a color is visible you can't sell a painting of that color until it gets covered up by another painting essentially. Mm-hmm. But that's another way. I have a love-hate relationship with that one. Well, see, I love it because that's another way, especially especially in a two-player game, that you can really dictate strategy with Mm -hmm. the other player because you get to see what paintings they have. So you can intentionally box them out if you want to. And sometimes it's worth it to to sell a painting of yours that might not be as lucrative, but it prevents your opponent from being able to do it, and you can set up and wait till the next time around to... To sell either a different one of yours or force them to go back to the art market in order to in order to get something else. I think that's a really really clever way to go about that design, and I think it's I I, I like that part of the game actually. Told I think you. it's love hate. Yeah, and, and like I said, it it is very for like like worker placement games tend to be can be cut thirty anyway because of you know blo- especially when blocking is something that can ensue. This game has that. In spades, because you can you can really do a lot to mess with your opponent in this game and and make it very difficult for them to do what they're trying to do and force them to find different ways. And that's where the city hall board is awesome, because you're never truly blocked out from being able to do an action, but they can make it but incredibly that's at the inconvenient cost of possibly you. losing a worker as well, which workers are tight in this game anyway. They can be. It can be difficult to get them you back. Know. So it's so I, I like the fact that like you're never truly blocked out, but you can certainly make it very inconvenient for your opponent to, to do what they're trying to do. I don't know if you can speak to how difficult the game was to learn because when we first played it was many years ago it i mean of course you know me i'm i i like to just get in there and play because it makes it easier for me to just kind of learn as we go well we did we did introduce this to our to our friends kevin and Corey a couple weeks ago and they picked it up without much well they're also seasoned gamers true that's true you know um what are so you you mentioned the love hate relationship with the paintings? Is there anything you actively dislike about the game? Um, a few of the patron cards I just feel are useless. Yes, absolutely. I get you. I I can get you there. Um, yeah, there's one there's one guy who gives you the wild resources, and the you're like, oh, wild resources. That sounds great. It's not as great as you think because you actually get a bonus um, when you build buildings using only. The specific resources, mm-hmm. the wild ones, help you get buildings out on the board, but they will potentially cost you points mm-hmm. um, as you go along. So that that one's not as good. Um, the one where you can trade like a color for two wild, also. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess if you're trying desperately to get buildings out, that right. would be more useful. But yeah, you're. I, I agree with you in that it's not as useful. As some of the other, like like there's uh, there's other patrons that like one dude like literally every time you use him, he gives you five points essentially, or five bucks, <laughs> right. or there's the one that lets you move up on the different tracks and mm-hmm. yeah. Now, see, that's actually where I find um, the only strategy that I think is difficult to use exclusively is using the patrons um and i never invested much into that patron track because it's it's it can be difficult to get that track built up well that and i never feel the need like i usually get it up to like two or maybe three Mm. and i never feel the need to go above that because it's just you know, right. I mean, I don't really need to use. I I have a good enough strategy and my wits about me that I can function with just needing to use one or two of my people. Yeah, and um, 
And and plus also Hamp brought the fact that you can only keep like each of the patrons are individually named and you can only keep one of each name and they appear multiple times in the in the deck basically. Mm-hmm. So like to get like the highest you can do is to activate all seven patrons at once, which is which is insanely powerful. But you literally have to have one of every guy that's in the game in order to do that. So, oh, I don't know. Did we if we talked about that? The patron track when you mm. get the people, the first guy on the rightmost side of the track is for is it is it right or left? I can't remember. Um, one of them's free, and the rest of them costs money. Yeah, I mean, it's just a sliding sliding yeah. marketplace, essentially. So, so if you really want a specific guy, he might cost you. Um, th- There really isn't, like, that's really the only thing that I kind of have a gripe with, I guess. Other than that, like, the game is really good. It's There, there really isn't anything in this game that I don't mm-hmm. really enjoy. Um, Like, like <laughs> I mean, not not that it's perfect, but it's it's just a really fun. Well, I like to be, I like being able to manipula- manipulate the market for the resources mm. because that's you know that's where i find i can do the most screwage well it's it's a similar you know. thing to the painting cuz yeah like um we didn't mention but whenever you build a building one of the hands on the building track has to move as far as like what resources are used to build the next building mm-hmm. and whoever builds that building gets to choose which hand moves so again you can see what your opponents have right. and make and it more difficult see, oh, for hey, them. They're building up for this and then you can just change it. So it is completely different colored cubes you have mm. to use. And yeah, um, this is also, we talked about the, the art of Alexander Roche. This is also my favorite game of his that he did art for because the game is a very, um, has like an art deco aesthetic, which is a style of art that I really like in the first place. And I think that it, it really makes it, it works very well with his particular style um, that he has when he for the art that he does for the games like Twa. It works for Twa, but it looks very like that game definitely has a unique look and it's not always my favorite. But I think this one is a very pretty looking game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, I even like the colors. You think the colors would be kind of kind of crappy, well, but it's everything, a lot of browns and oranges. All, and yeah, stuff they're, like that. they're all very muted, but right. You know, it works. It does work very well. I, 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 I dig it. I dig it quite a bit. Um, I think some people don't care for the art very much, but I, I'm actually in the quite opposite camp mm-hmm. with that. Um, so where would you rank this on the weight scale? Mm-hmm. For me, it's like a it's somewhere in between. Like if medium is a three and medium heavy is a four, this is like a, a three, three and, and a half. half. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where that's kind of where it sits for me. I was just going to say dead in the middle, but that's just me. But, you know, I'm kind of a weirdo when it comes to that stuff. Um, trying to think of other games similar to you it. you told me, you're like, oh, heavy game. I'm like, that's a heavy game? And you're like, really? Yeah. So, um, probably not the best person to ask that question, hun. I think it's. I think Twa is a good comparison for it weight-wise. Like, I, I, I find them to be kind of unequal on equal footing mm-hmm. as far as that goes. I'm trying to think of a game that might be right under it as far as complexity goes. We're, we're, we're like, so like for me, like this sits, this is easier to learn than like a Trajan, for example, um, a little bit tougher than like castles of Burgundy. Okay. I guess that's probably, can you think of any other Euro games that are in that space that you can compare it to um. weight wise? 
You put me on the spot and my brain's not functioning okay. quite well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the Burgundy, I think sitting in between Burgundy and Trajan is probably a good place to sit it for me. Um, who would we recommend this game to? Anyone who likes this type of, like, if you're a big fan of, like, those mid-weight strategy games, I think this is a fantastic mm-hmm. game to get. It's actually really good. I mean, I know we're all about the two-player games, but it's actually really good with four. Like, I really enjoyed the four-player game. Well, and again, because of, because of how the game scales, the like, the way it scales, I think, makes it, lends itself well with that. Because really all you are changing is the the action the, the amount of, you know the amount of space is available for the action so you know the ratio is kind of the same regardless of which player count you're playing at i mean obviously less competition for things like the patrons and and the different um the building market with two players it's definitely less chaotic those things with two players but still definitely easy to influence the other player easier to influence the other player with two players than it is Mm-hmm. With uh, with the higher player counts, um, and yeah, if you primarily play with two players, I I think this is this is a no brainer to pick up. Um, it definitely doesn't suffer at the lower player count by any stretch of the imagination by my by my by my count at least. Yeah. So yeah, so obviously, uh, overwhelmingly positive review for Bruxelles. Um, and again, I'm I'm like ninety five percent certain it's being reprinted. So when that happens. Uh, definitely check it out because I know beforehand it was going on, you know, being sold for eighty to one hundred dollars, and it's a very good game. Not a game that I'd pay eighty to one hundred dollars for, but if you can get it for regular price, then or if you get it in a trade, yeah, then it's it's a fantastic game and and well worth your time, especially mm-hmm. in in that in that you know medium strategy space. Um, so that is it for us. Hopefully, you enjoyed that review of Bruxelles, uh, eighteen ninety three. Um, so thank you guys uh, for listening once again to us. Um, again, TNP Studios, we've been we've we've rolled out a lot of new stuff these past couple of weeks. So check out the Nerdpocalypse on YouTube. Check out Dense Pixels on YouTube. Uh, and if you haven't subscribed to our premium network, please consider doing so. If you go to thenerdpocalypse.com/slash/premium, uh, you can check that out. Just five dollars a month, fifty dollars a year, and gets you access to over two hundred hours worth of content and new content every single week. Um, and that's pretty much it, I think. So thank you very much for listening. Sorry we, will... we were late again. Yeah. Like I said, we will, uh, we will catch you guys next time. Yep. See ya. Bye.